Welcome to episode seven of Small Steps, Big Impact. My name's Sally Ho. So last week, we learned all about food waste and the enormous cost it's having on the planet. Today, we're shifting gears a bit. We're going to focus on another industry that uses up a huge amount of Earth's resources. And it releases a gigantic amount of greenhouse gas emissions and also leaves behind a trail of pollution from landfill waste to water contamination. If you haven't guessed it already, I'm talking about fashion. So, what can we do about it? Previously, we talked about some of these environmental hacks we could all be making to lower our carbon footprint, like swapping out beef or choosing the reusable option. When it comes to our wardrobes, we can opt for circular fashion. Now, you might be wondering what circular fashion actually is. Choosing circular fashion means bearing in mind the whole life cycle of a product, whether it's t-shirts or shoes and bags, you name it. Anything to possibly extend the length of time we use it means preventing unnecessary waste from going to the landfill. And at the current rate we're buying new clothes, there's a whole lot of waste being dumped every day. In addition to waste, it's a little known fact that the global fashion industry is a major carbon emitter. The UN estimates that fashion drives 10% of the world's carbon emissions, from raw material sourcing to manufacturing. Now that's more than the emissions from shipping and flights combined. To find out more about what we can all do to support circular fashion and cut down on our fashion footprint, I'm going to meet Alex Orr. Alex is a bit of an expert when it comes to sustainable fashion. So I've decided to ask her to show me around the pre-loved fashion spots and share more of her suggestions on how we can all be refitting our wardrobes the sustainable way. Alex, thank you so much for coming along with me on a bit of a sustainable fashion tour today. Before I start quizzing you all about circular fashion, could you introduce yourself and tell me a bit about your story, what you do and how you got into the sustainability world? Hi Sally, thank you for having me. Um, it's, such, it's so nice to be able to speak with you about these issues in such like a conversational way. I have actually just graduated my master's degree in development economics, and I did a specialization in climate adaptation. Before that, I did a bachelor in literature and Mandarin, so there's not really, I think it was definitely, you can definitely tell that I was not 100% aligned with this journey from the get-go. But um, my sustainability journey kind of started, I think, when I was 12, unknowingly, when I decided I wanted to become vegan. It just felt like the right thing to do. Climate change is kind of being spoken about in school, and it just, it just really felt right. It was an emotional impulse, and I think that a lot of people can relate to the feeling that climate impacts are very, very emotional, and you can feel very overwhelmed by them. And um, that was a bit of a... I, it was like a little bit of a side note, got a bit off track, but currently I am doing my placement in sustainability in supply chains with a with a company, it's, it's a large company, I won't say the name of it, 
And I've also written some articles about plastic packaging and microplastics. And I am in the third round of peer review for an article called The Political Ecology of Pork. And it's about the impacts of the meat industry. So you will be able to find that at the International Journal of Political Ecology. Hopefully, if my third round is approved. And tell me what else you do. You do a bit of modeling, don't you? Yes, I, I am also a model. I started that, I think it was around late last year, and I, I moved to Hong Kong for my placement. And it really started picking up. I've been doing quite a bit of work in that space. It was really, it's really more to supplement my income. I think a lot of us can relate to being in school and not having that disposable income, especially living in Hong Kong. You kind of feel where things are super, super expensive. You really do have to have a steady income if you want to have like a regular social life. And so that's something that I'm a little bit conflicted about sometimes. I model for brands which are not necessarily always the most sustainable but you have to do what you have to do and I think it doesn't make you a bad person for just participating and trying to have a good like a good quality of life and I don't think we need to sacrifice our social lives and that feeling of love and connection and also any of our well-being for a cause necessarily. Absolutely and it also gives you a great first look into the fashion industry with with that career as well, doesn't it? Yes, definitely. I think in the particularly contrasting my own academic experience where it's all about criticizing and that's been a huge part of what's informed a lot of my emotions towards the space. And then you have this, I had my placement, which is in actual manufacturing practice and trying to improve it in terms of sustainable manufacturing, which is informed, like, I was quite upset when I first got the job because I was like, this is just not right. And it was making me a bit emotional, but then I realized that it's just the practical realities of the world and you have to make changes in very small ways and that's totally acceptable and that's really the only way of moving forward and then going into the modeling industry where, you you just are constant the same brands will have constant shoots and they're just releasing new clothes all the time and it's it's really really interesting to connect these three worlds and it's given me a really practical look at the reality of the situation and so let's dive right into the situation shall we i really want to know more about how big the problem is when it comes to the global fashion industry and its role in fueling the climate crisis. Could you tell us a bit more about that? Absolutely. So I I guess I should say that the scale of the issue is is very large for sure. And I'm hesitant to really quote any statistics because I, in my opinion, from what I've seen, the main issue is that we don't know the actual specific scale of the issue because of the lack of pressure towards reporting. And there are so many parts of the supply chain which we are not privy to. Like when I got my placement, 
I didn't even realize that there were so many different factories and not that one factory, like one factory doesn't make all of the clothes. You have to go through at least four different factories before you have the finished product and then it goes into retail. And so it's really difficult to get an actual and accurate understanding of the problem. Like we can say that the average garment is worn four times and then it goes to the landfill. We can say that only a third of garments get to retail stores, but it's those are very, very fragmented and not real accurate pictures of the issue. So I will just say that like I'm not gonna really quote any statistics, but we really have to be aware that the issue is not in our consumption habits, but really in the way that we think about the disposability of clothing and like how often we should be purchasing and just the ways in which we're conditioned towards these practices as well. I want to talk about the buy and throw issue in Hong Kong specifically. I heard in one study by fashion NGO Redress that as much as a third of all clothing in our city never actually gets worn. Most of our newly bought clothes are actually going straight to waste. Maybe you can delve into this a little bit. Definitely. I think the... I don't want to discredit the value of statistics because that just demonstrates that research is being done in this sphere. And research, I think across... You, Sally, I think you'll agree that research is really important to close gaps across all disciplines, not just climate impacts. Like, we really do need to keep encouraging research, and that's why I won't dismiss the validity of the statistic. But I do believe it's quite dangerous to hold these statistics at the forefront of the cause because it doesn't really... I think it, 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 it dismisses a lot of the really complicated relationships between what drives us to purchase and who is really purchasing these items. I believe that um, I wrote a paper last year and it was about the, the relationship between consumption habits and mental health problems. And it seems like women in particular were conditioned towards this buy and buy and throw culture because it kind of is a dopamine hit and when you are anxious especially when anxiety and depression are super common in our present times especially with all these social media influences i think that in my report don't i'm not don't quote me on this but in my report there was a marked increase that was year on year in the number of women that were diagnosed with anxiety and depression. And in those states, personally, I have um, suffered from mental health problems myself. And I can say that you really are, you're looking for a dopamine hit. A lot of my friends have seen this as well. And a dopamine hit is released when you purchase things. And so women often will, you know, they'll be scrolling through social media, perhaps feeling feeling a certain amount of anxiety, and, you know, you'll buy a piece of clothing because you can imagine the way that you'll be feeling when you have that piece of clothing, but then the piece of clothing arrives and your mental state doesn't necessarily change, and then that might lead to you realizing that you don't want to wear the piece of clothing because it didn't bring you that amount of joy that you thought it would. And so it gets thrown away. And... 
I don't think it's wrong to not necessarily focus on climate impacts when you're in that state of mind, but being really attentive to the impact drivers rather than the symptoms that are represented by these statistics in my mind is important because then it doesn't condemn the consumer, which is often the vulnerable person. And it really brings attention to root causes of the issue being like, why do we feel the need to consume? Who is victimized by these advertisements and by these economic processes which pump out the means of production and, produ and economies of scale? Wow. So we really should be less harsh on ourselves. It seems like that's what you're trying to get at. But how can we kind of switch then? If we are so conditioned to consuming in this way, what would you say would be a better approach to changing our shopping habits and turning to circular fashion in that aspect? So I wish that I had a real good answer for this question because I think it would really help a lot of people in terms of not only climate literacy but financial literacy. I feel that really the focus needs to be demand reduction, but that comes with addressing a lot of different issues. So if we can just be really conscious and self-aware of the reasons why we purchase, I think that our demand will go down. And something that's helped me personally in moments where I might have, you know, I, I used to pride myself on only ever buying secondhand clothes, which is something that I've been, when I've when I've realized, I think that most second-hand clothes in a thrift store, it, they will stay there for three days and they thrown away. They'll be taken directly to the landfill. So a lot of consumers refocus their attention towards not actually reducing the amount that they are buying, but saying, okay, if I go to the thrift store, I can have that new outfit every two weeks. And that's making less of an impact. And nobody should punish themselves because I think that in itself and the recent shift the, and clear shift over the past few years of thrifting becoming in, it just speaks to the, rap, the rapid nature of change and the ways in which people are so ready to get behind change, which is fantastic. And it gives me so much hope. But really thinking about why it is that we feel the need to have a new outfit every two weeks. Personally, I cannot think of a single person that I've ever thought of think and like you know, my, maybe this is just from my experience, but thinking about, like, I've never noticed that someone has, or like thought positively, or even at all, about someone having a new outfit every time I see them. It's not even something I notice. I just think, that person looks nice. You know, they have a great sense of style, but it's really not something you notice. So I think it's difficult, but being really, really aware and thinking very thoroughly before you make a purchase and the reasons why you're doing it. Maybe it's not about the climate, but I think once we all pay a lot more attention to our consumptive habits, we'll realize that maybe we don't need a new outfit every time we go to a special event. Maybe we can go and rent instead of... I think that renting is a really great option. And circular fashion, there is a lot of validity to it, but I think being really conscious of the stores which you go to and how long they keep the items in there can give you a, a little bit of self-awareness. It doesn't have to be overnight. I think holding yourself to impossible standards is only 
you're setting yourself up to fail and you're setting yourself up to feel super guilty and I've definitely been there I think that you've been there as well Sally from our previous conversations like um, you don't want to set yourself up to fail so be kind to yourself just be try to be a little more self-aware every day it's okay if you slip up um, yeah just be really 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 mindful of where you're getting your clothes from so once we get through that mindset shift and being mindful and conscious about how we spend I'd love for us to be able to explore some of the options that are there once we have thought about it. Okay, I really do need this outfit for a certain function. And that's why today we're going to go head over to a secondhand store just to have a look. You're going to take me around and we can explore the options. Also talk about the pros and cons to it. Shall we go? Yeah, absolutely. just headed into a second-hand fashion store called Hula. It's on Hollywood Road and they sell a bunch of pre-loved clothing here. We've popped in and Alex is going to give us a tour, take us around how it works. So we are in Hula and it's beautiful in here. I think what's something that is very apparent when you walk in is just how many beautiful and well-kept pieces there are. So for those of you who don't aren't familiar with Hula, it is a second-hand store, but it's very curated, and they accept. It works on a consignment basis, so what you can do is you can bring in your old clothes, and they have to be like in kind of almost like new condition. But I'm, you know, I'm sure that, and they are higher end. So like some of the brands you would see here are. I'm looking at a Saint Laurent handbag. There's also a bunch of Bottega Veneta. And it really is just that it's more luxury, but I think especially the emphasis is on non-fast fashion brands. So I think the beauty in that is it really encourages you to make considered purchases, maybe investing a bit more in not necessarily designer pieces, but non-fast fashion pieces that have a bit more wear. And this is a great way to get money back for an item which you know maybe doesn't fit you anymore or an item which... Like it isn't really your style, and it's a great option for people who want to get an outfit for an event or maybe office wear. Almost everything is like new. Amazing. Yes, definitely. So all of the clothes in here are very, very, very beautiful, and I don't think you wouldn't find many basics. But if you wanted to um, buy a new work outfit or like buy an outfit for a special event and you wanted to dedicate a little bit more money into that, into making a more considered purchase than going to a traditional store, this would be an amazing option. And I think that the great thing about buying something that is a little, you have to make more of an investment in is it makes you consider it more and think about it more. So one thing that I have done in the past to make myself really aware of my purchasing decision is make a list of five places that I'd wear the item to, putting aside a certain amount of money every week and saving up to buy the item and then seeing by the time I had that amount of money, despite like no matter what I am earning, it's really important to wait, give yourself a little bit of breathing period to see if you actually do want it or if it's like a momentary thing. Momentary can mean like it's a month long, but making sure you're really, really, really aware of the decision. And then if you are 100% on it, definitely come to a place like Hula. There's also Redress, as you mentioned previously. And there's another store. 
is also, it's a chain of thrift stores, and there's one in Central on Li Yuan Street East. It's called Mianji if you wanted like a little bit more of an affordable price point. It's less curated, but you can de- there's definitely a lot of options in Hong Kong, which is really cool. Of course, not everyone is looking for luxury clothes, like you said. So apart from that, and apart from going to a thrift store, do you have any other tips, any other secular fashion options that people can go for? I think you host clothing swaps yourself, don't you? I do host clothing swaps. So I know this is like a little bit of a cultural thing where in Hong Kong, I think because of our history with SARS and now the pandemic, we are very, very cautious about having secondhand clothing or secondhand items just because it's caused, like the back, like, I guess the concept of germs has caused us so much loss in the past and that's totally understandable and I don't want to invalidate any of those experiences or any of the fears towards, you know, having just secondhand items or things you don't feel safe around in your home. So one thing that I do, which I actually took inspiration from, from Take Out Plastic, it's an NGO um, that was founded by Jamie Ellis, who I used to work with. She's amazing at the Startup Sustainable. She used to host large-scale, and she still does actually, large-scale clothing swaps where people bring 10 items in good condition, or reasonable condition at least. I think, think it's as stringent as a place like Hula, where you would have to actually it would have to be fairly like new and um, it's just a huge clothing swap where you don't actually use money but you get tokens and you can change your old pieces for new pieces so that's definitely an option you can keep your eye out for takeout plastic swaps and um, I personally with my friends because I'm very aware of this you you don't always know going into a swap whether or not there is going to be something in your size, whether or not you're going to really vibe with everything, anything that's going to be there. So what I've done with note to this, a lot of my friends are very into fashion, and to try and encourage them to come away from that constant purchasing culture, which because because climate is not their priority, they have different interests, which is totally valid. Um, I've tried to slowly encourage them by hosting these spaces and inviting maybe eight to ten people around the same size, with the same, with the same um, style. Style, exactly, with the same sense of style. And we just are more. I think people are more trusting towards that because they're more willing to bring in nicer pieces, um, maybe something that's a little bit more expensive because they know exactly who's going to be there. They know that they're probably going to get something in return that's going to be of equal value to them and so that's another great option and if you know you can you know you can scope for your friends who you want to invite or you know like people that you might know that you want to invite it's a great way of like socializing that's that's budget neutral and you can really just like have a very fun time I actually did one I had so much fun at my first one that I ended up doing it for my birthday last year and it was just amazing it's really really cool to go to a place and just come, it gives you that same hit of new clothes, of getting a piece of new clothing. And it just, it showed me that you don't have to spend money to buy these clothes. And that's why I think it's also a great option for people who are on a lower budget. You don't have to damage yourself financially if you want to have a new item of clothing. And I think you mentioned before that there's also rental options in addition to clothing swaps and buying secondhand. Do we have any of these in Hong Kong? 
So from what I'm aware of, I don't think we have any rental options. Maybe that's a gap in the market that someone could be filling. It's very popular in... I went to university in Melbourne. That's where I did my bachelor's and my master's, and that's quite popular now. You will go on Instagram. I think because of this whole issue of people, designer items being so expensive, and we all, especially as women, feel a lot of pressure to keep up with that, and that you don't want to say that's you should you just shouldn't do it because that's not realistic. We there's obviously a lot of psychology, and these brands have bred an economy which makes us want to participate in that and so I'm not going to say that you should just get over it because that's absolutely not realistic but in Australia I've seen that people will often rent a dress for a ball and that saves them a bit of money and that really like I think sheds how realistic it is that you're going to wear or it really shows you how many times you're probably going to wear something that's pretty spectacular you probably wear it once And so my friends in particular have found a lot of joy out of that. They balanced spending, like, you might spend $800 on the wear rather than, and wear it one time, rather than spending, you know, in the thousands and only wear it one time. So it really breaks it down into that cost per wear. And it also means lengthening the life cycle of a product and preventing it from going straight to the landfill, right? Yeah, definitely. And it really provides an option, I think, for people who might not be able to afford that um, designer economy, but maybe want to feel like they can be a part of it for a second, as well as preventing it from going to the landfill. There's so many, I think there's a lot of potential in this space. So if anyone wants to, you know, get thinking about that in Hong Kong, that would be really cool. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining me today, Alex, and taking me around on this pre-loved shopping experience. I really appreciate it. Of course. It's been so wonderful to be here with you and to have a look through these lovely items and also to just, like, you know, get thinking about, because we're both so passionate about about having realistic conversations. And um, I really think this approach is amazing. I read a quote the other day on Instagram, and it was, to paraphrase, it was that, um, also, you know, you should, you should, I think as consumers, just to preface, as consumers, we often feel like we're not going to have an impact, and we get very discouraged, because we're like, oh, we, you know, the, the power of change comes from large companies, the government, so what I do isn't really going to be impactful, but... Small changes from small groups of people have always been the driver of mass change, and that's just the way it always has been. So small movements create larger movements, which then creates change. So everything you do, every single decision that you make, every conversation that you have will create positive change. and I'm feeling inspired to go through my wardrobe a little bit. I'm thinking about all the amazing sustainable tips that Alex shared earlier, especially about swapping your pre-loved clothing with your friends. I have a few pieces of clothing that I've had for a while, but I haven't worn much and I honestly don't think I will be wearing them anytime soon. So I'm not going to throw them away. I will donate them or swap them with a family member or some friends and I'm going to keep these pieces in circulation. If I ever do feel like a wardrobe makeover, I'll be checking out secondhand shops to avoid feeding into the demand for new production. 
We have enough clothes on this planet for sure, so why not choose circular? Hopefully, you're just as convinced as I am that taking the sustainable step is the most fashionable thing that you can do. With that, it's going to be goodbye from me. I'm Sally Ho, and next time on Small Steps Big Impact, we'll be wrapping up this series with a final episode on being an environmental activist. I'll catch you then. Bye.